And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as we sing together, you are holy, holy, holy. And with that thought in mind, I pray that each and every one of us would consider that we are not worthy to be here, gathered as the saints, surrounded around your word, eager to read and study your word together. God, may we understand what a blessing and what a gift this is. I pray that we are humbled at the opportunity to be here, not just as friends and acquaintances, but as brothers and sisters in Christ through the shed blood of Christ our Savior. God, I pray that through your word and by your spirit, you would minister To our hearts and to our minds and to our lives today through your word. God, I pray that we'll be led into all truth. God, I pray that our faith would be strengthened. That our understanding would expand so that we could know you more. God, may we worship you here this morning. May you be well pleased with all things that take place during this time of study. May you receive all of the glory and the praise and the honor that you alone are worthy of. May you receive that in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Very, very familiar passage of Scripture there. Especially, especially those last couple of verses. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. We, we love using those verses for evangelistic means. Uh, you hear many preachers that will maybe even quote those verses right before an altar call. Even if that isn't what they preach, they may quote that right before an altar call or, or something similar along those lines. We love those verses. And for good reason. That is a, that is a guarantee from Christ. All who come to Christ. In repentance and faith will receive rest for their souls. Why would we not want to proclaim that among the nations? Why would we not want to proclaim that to the lost around us? But what I want us to do this morning is look at these verses within the the full scope of its context. And really see what is taking place here. So let us ask this question. What has taken place leading up? To this passage because verse 25 starts with at that time. So something had happened previously 
uh, before this passage, something has, ha- has happened leading up to this. For this section to start off with, at that time, Jesus declared. So if you go back to the first part of Matthew 11, John the Baptist sent his followers, some of his followers uh, to Jesus and, and they asked him uh, a question. They said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? That's Matthew 11 verse 3. Are you the one that is to come or shall we look for another? And in verse 4, Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now those aren't just random things that Jesus has done. We, we know that Jesus healed the blind and He healed the lame. And we know that Jesus raised the dead. But these aren't just things that... Jesus isn't saying, go tell John all this stuff that I've done. These things are, are woven into the fabric of Scripture. These are things that have been prophesied of the one that is to come. John the Baptist... Is He is the messenger that is sent out before the Christ. He is the voice of one that cries in the wilderness. And so Jesus is saying, you go and you tell John these things and it will, that will be his answer. He will know that I am the Messiah. I am the one to come. It is I. I am the Christ. But in that, I want, I want us this morning to, to understand that all these things are fulfillments a prophecy, a fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, have you ever read the Old Testament and then be look and and then been looking in the New Testament and you thought to yourself, how in the world could the scribes and the Pharisees and and and, and by and large the the bulk majority of the Jewish people, how in the world could they not recognize that their Messiah was standing right in front of them? Have you ever anybody ever had that thought? You know, how in the world could the Israelites have been so foolish? To have their Messiah standing right there in front of them. Especially the scribes and Pharisees that would have been so familiar with the scriptures. And they they knew the law. They knew the prophecies. They had Christ standing right there in front of them. And yet they didn't recognize him. I had one person raise their hand. I'm going to ask this question again just to make sure that we're all awake. Have you ever kind of scratched your head and wondered how the Jews missed that? How the Pharisees missed that? That's important because when we come back to verses 25, we're going to get a direct answer as to why they missed it and how they missed it. Okay? But for John's sake, he's going to hear these things and he's going to know this is the Christ. He, he is the Son of God. Verse 7 though. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So, in this, we, as the readers, we need to be looking at all of this and thinking, Okay, well, Jesus is literally, he's just referring here to fulfillments of prophecy. He really is the Christ. He really is the Son of God. John sends messengers and inquires of him. And and Jesus' answer to him is, tell him the things that you've seen. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. These are all proofs that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised one. Then he tells those that are around the crowds that are there. He says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? And then he says, yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So the crowds, the Jewish crowds, they should have been receiving all of these things and thinking all of all of this is prophetic fulfillment. Jesus is the Christ. John is the one who prepared the way before him. We can have faith that this man, Jesus, really is who he says he is. But yet we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, especially the leaders of Israel, the scribes and Pharisees, and many of the Jewish people rejected Christ as their Messiah. Even though all of, all of His activities during His earthly ministry were fulfillment of what they know. They knew the Scriptures. They knew what was to come. They saw it. They heard His teachings. They saw His miracles. And yet they still... Did not believe. Truly I say to you. That we're now in verse 11. Truly I say to you among those born of women. There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven. Is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now he's speaking very plainly. The Jewish people know that there is an Elijah that is to come. So Jesus here, he's not, he's not hiding anything. He's telling them straight up. He's telling them point blank. John is the Elijah that is to come. So there's, there, there's no doubt about what he's, he's saying here. John is that messenger. John is the one that prepared the way for me. These things are testimonies of the fact that I am the Christ. But then he says this. Because again, the Jewish people not accepting him as Messiah. The scribes and Pharisees wanting him killed. To what shall I compare this generation it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. So basically, this generation is like children who only want to play by their rules. And if you don't play according to their rules, they're going to complain and murmur and reject you. So to put this even more in context, this is what he says. For when John came... John came neither eating nor drinking, and you say, or sorry, they say, he has a demon. That was their accusation. Was it? Well, he has a demon. That's why we're not, we're not accepting his testimony. We're not accepting his words. He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And so they, they reject John... With this notion that, well, he neither eats nor drinks, but he has a demon. He's a madman. He's a crazy man. Well, Jesus comes eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He, he eats with tax collectors. 
So we don't need to listen to anything he's got to say. We reject him. So they're like those children. Well, we played the flute and y'all didn't dance like we wanted you to. We played a dirge and you didn't mourn like we wanted to. We want you know, the Jewish people. They want their Messiah. They want the Christ, but they want him on their terms. They want their Christ, but they want the Christ that they have built in their own mind. So when Jesus came as a babe in a manger, that really threw them off. When Jesus came eating with tax collectors, that really threw them off. What are they expecting? They are expecting this Elijah that is to come. And then they're expecting Jesus to come in and immediately set up an earthly kingdom where he reigns. Which he does. That's a different sermon for another time. But he does set up his kingdom where he reigns eternally. But the Jewish people are are thrown off by that. And that is why they can look. They can look at Jesus in his earthly ministry, see his miracles, hear his teachings and say, you are not the son of God. That's why certain ones of them said, not only are you not the son of God, but you're doing what you're doing by the power of Beelzebub. Because they're blinded, they cannot see, they, they cannot see the truth of who Jesus is. Then, verse 20, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. This to people who claim to be what? The children of Abraham. Which would mean that they are the children of God. And Jesus Christ is telling them it will be more bearable, more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than it will be for you. This should call all of us to attention because we should think, well, as Christians today in America, 2021, as Christians, what are we claiming to be? The children of God. We're claiming to be followers of Christ. Those that have been saved by the grace of God and we are his children. But it is possible for for even those who claim to be God's children to completely miss the truth and to be blinded by their own desires of who of who they want Jesus to be, of who they want God to be. And they can get so blinded by those things that they completely miss the truth. But sticking with our text here. These people weren't just missing the truth. They were literally missing the fact that their Messiah was standing right there in front of them. So what caused this blindness? How are they not able to see this? Now we come to verse 25 and I hope and I pray that within the context of these verses, I hope that this passage takes on a new weight to us. A new meaning 
to us. Really, because there's so much more going on here than just the beautiful truth that Jesus does say, come unto me. If you're weary and you're heavy laden, come to me. That is a beautiful truth of Scripture. But what I'm saying this morning is there's even more than that going on in this passage. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It was the will of God to hide the knowledge of Christ and who He is from certain peoples. Namely, it was the will of God to hide that knowledge from Israel. You say, okay, that's, that's food for thought. Let me mull that around a little bit. Well, while you're mulling it around, turn to Isaiah 53. Turn to Isaiah 53, if you will. <clears throat> We're going to start in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus didn't come into a world where he was loved and accepted and welcomed. He came into a world where he was despised and rejected, even by his own brethren. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, we have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. If Christ had been accepted by the scribes and Pharisees and Jewish people, there would have been no crucifixion. In order for there to be a crucifixion, the Jews had to reject Him as Messiah. It's all part of God's will. And that may be hard for us to wrap our minds around at first, especially if we've never given thought uh, or consideration to that thought. But it was the will of God for Christ to come into the world and be rejected even by His own people. So this is why 
Jesus here can lift his voice up and say, Father, I, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It was the will of God for fishermen and a tax collector to see Christ for who he truly was and follow him while the scribes and the Pharisees and those who would have been esteemed as the most righteous men of their day It was God's will for the fishermen and the tax collectors to see Christ for who He truly was and for the scribes and Pharisees to be blinded to it and reject Him and hate Him. Why do we need to rejoice in that truth? If Jesus Christ never dies on a cross, we don't have remission of our sins. If Jesus never died on a cross, our sins have never been atoned for. This had to happen. And so that's the first thing that I want us to notice within this passage. We must realize God's definite purposes in all that is unfolding. Romans 11. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read really one uh, one verse. Romans 11 chapter 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so even Paul in the book of Romans references this this hardening, this, uh, this, this work that was done by God in the hearts of Israel to cause them to turn aside from their Messiah, to be blinded, to be hardened towards the idea that Jesus is the way to the Father, not the law. Not the sacrificial system. Not the priesthood. Christ alone is the way to the Father. So we recognize that first. There is a definite plan. There is a definite purpose here in these verses. Even in the rejection of and the acceptance of the Son. The will of the Father is at work here. So then Jesus continues on in verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now to me. And I want to hear. To me. I'm not saying that you have to agree with it. But to me. The verse we just read is the most profound verse in this passage. It's the weightiest. It's the meatiest. You know if you want to use that analogy of. Of, of a bone that's got some meat on it. And you've got to chew on it. What we just read. This is, the, this is the meat. This is the weight of this passage. So. In order for us to really catch. The magnitude of Jesus saying. Come to me all you who, who labor and are heavy laden. We next need to understand. We must realize that knowing God is a gift. And we can accomplish that on our own. Say so, what does that mean? It means that even if one day, as a non-believer, somebody wakes up and says, you know what, I'm just going to get to know God and I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start being more kind to people. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to stop using bad language. I'm going to stop doing people wrong and and having bad business deals. And, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to. I'm going to get to know God by my own efforts. It's impossible. 
It's impossible. It can't be done. Knowing God is a gift. Think about it. Who knew the scriptures better than the scribes and Pharisees? Nobody. Nobody. So if someone says, well, I know the Bible better than anybody, that still does, that, that doesn't mean that you know God. It means you're acquainted with the scriptures on an earthly, mental level. Doesn't mean you know God. Who obeyed the laws? Who followed the rules better than anybody of their day? The Jewish people. And the higher up the ladder you go, probably the more strict they were even towards themselves about following the law. But guess what? They still did not know God. In fact, I believe it's in John 8 that Jesus actually tells them, speaking to Jewish people, you're of your father the devil. That should get our attention. Because again, as Christians, who do we claim to be? Followers of Christ, children of God. Yet it is possible for those who claim to be followers of Christ and the children of God to be blinded to the truth. Because just professing to be something doesn't mean that you actually are that thing that you're professing. The Jewish people, especially the leaders, they claim to be the children of God. And Jesus says, you're of your father the devil. So just because we profess something doesn't mean that it's true. Apply that to us today. Just because somebody professes, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, doesn't mean that they actually are a Christian that loves the Lord. But before we actually hone in on that point, we must first realize our need of a Savior and realize why many do not come to Him at all. Let me ask this. Have you ever had the thought... As a believer, I've been asking this at a, at a couple of different places that I've, that I've been to recently. Because it is an interesting thought. And I believe that most Christians at some point have had a thought at least similar to this one. Have you ever wondered as you're sharing the gospel with someone. Or maybe you were in a church service and the preacher just, you know, preached the roof off the building, so to speak. And you're thinking, man, if there was anybody that ain't saved, when they heard that sermon, today's the day. They're getting saved today. And then... Nobody makes a profession of faith. The people that are in that church service that you know they're unsaved, they heard that same sermon that you just heard and they're just unmoved. Like, can we go home now? Or you're sharing the gospel with somebody and in your mind you're thinking, this is it. I've been able to, I, through God's grace, I've been able to answer every single question that they've posed to me. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And I have shown them in the scripture. Here's what God says. Here's what God says. Here's what God says. And in your mind, you're kind of you're kind of getting amped up because you're thinking, this is it. Today's the day they're going to get saved. And yet they still say, I don't believe it. And we get so frustrated and we think, what in the world is keeping these people from believing? Have you ever had any thoughts similar to that? Anybody at all? Okay, I got a few heads nodding. Right? It is a gift from God to know Him. Their eyes have to be opened, not by you, and not by themselves. Man cannot just make the decision himself that I'm going to open up my own eyes. I'm going to make myself see Jesus for who He is. 
Can't happen. It is a gift. Who gives this gift? God, namely the Spirit of God. Through the washing of regeneration. People must first have eyes to see and ears to hear. To see Christ for who He truly is. And to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for what it truly is. Good news. So all of these times that we might share the gospel with someone. Or we know that we've been praying for somebody. And, they, and they've heard the gospel over and over and over again. And we might be tempted to think. What in the world is keeping them from believing? What we need to be doing is praying. God open their eyes. You're the only one. You are the only one through your spirit that can grant them eyes to see and ears to hear. You are the only one through your spirit that can raise them up to new birth. Which is precisely what Christ has spoken, right? No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. We need, mankind needs a new birth. And that comes through God, again, namely through his spirit. So we must realize our need of a savior. Now I, I take it in good faith. We're all here this morning. Brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here as a congregation. I take it in good faith that most everybody here would say confidently. There came a time in my life. Where I, where I recognized my need of a savior. Therefore. I went to Christ and found him to be. A perfect savior. I hope and I pray that that is true. For everybody here this morning, I know that all of us would at least give lip service for that. We would probably say, well, that's why I'm at church. Jesus is Lord. He's my savior. So I go to church to hear more about him. But only you and God, but only you really know if in your heart you have found what we're talking about here in these verses today. Rest for your soul. Anyone that has gone to Christ and found him to be a perfect savior is someone that has found rest for their soul. But all those who have not gone to Christ and found Him to be a perfect Savior, no matter how much they go to church, no matter how much they read their Bible, no matter how many songs they sing, no matter how many prayers they pray, they still do not have rest for their soul. And they may be like some of the scribes and Pharisees. They may be like some of the Jewish people that were just trying to work their way to God. I'm a child of God. Look at all this stuff that I do. Look at all these rules that I follow. Look at all these laws that I abide by. But they still do not yet know Christ for who He is. We must realize our need of a Savior. And we must realize why many don't come to Him. So, we'll answer that question first. Why many people do not come to Christ? Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being 
will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The whole world is guilty before God. There's your need of a Savior right there. Even your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. There's your need of a Savior right there. You say, but, but I follow these rules. But I do all of the right things. Have you ever fallen short of even the rules that you have given yourself? Well, then you have fallen short. And even the laws that you give yourself prove this point. You're not perfect. And you fall short. And you're guilty. You cannot even follow the rules that you give yourself. Let alone the laws that were given to God's people in the Old Testament. To, uh, to testify to the fact that they were a holy people that were set apart. No human being will be justified in the sight of God through the law. So even if there were somebody here today that you say, well, to the best of my recollection, I actually have followed all the rules of Christendom to perfection. Guess what? You still will not be justified in the sight of God. Let alone the fact that you're not Jesus. So you have not followed. You have not fulfilled the law perfectly. Only Christ has done that. Works. Works of the law will justify nobody in the sight of God. You know what that means? We need a Savior. We need someone outside of ourselves. We need someone greater than ourselves. We need someone that has fulfilled the law. That has actually done all that God has commanded. And Scripture is resounding with the song that Christ is the Lamb. Christ is the Lamb that was slain. Christ is the one who fulfilled the law. Christ is the one who purchased our redemption. Christ is the one who satisfied the wrath of God for us. So go to Him and find rest for your soul. Stop trying to work your way into heaven. Stop trying to work your way into God's good graces. Christ has done it all. Go to Him or be damned. There's your options. Run to Christ or be damned. That's it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why don't many people come to Christ? Why are there masses and masses upon people that do not come to Christ for salvation? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, Satan has blinded, has veiled the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and he hinders people from seeing the light 
of the gospel, the light of the truth. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So let me ask the simple question. Go back to my illustration that I used earlier. People's eyes have to be opened in order for them to know the gospel and to know Christ for who he is. You can't open their eyes. They themselves can't even open their eyes. We've just read that it is it is Satan that veils the gospel, that blinds the eyes of the people. Are you stronger than Satan? Of course not. Am I stronger than Satan? Of course not. Is any individual that is, that is alive today strong enough to overcome the powers of the evil one? No. There is but one that can overcome the power and the schemes of the evil one. God. This is why to know God is a gift. That he would overcome the power of Satan in your own life. That he would overcome the power of sin and the power of death and the power of deception in your own life. And reveal to you the hope and the light of the gospel is a gift. So let's finish up this little section here because it says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How does anybody ever come to know Christ for who he is? How does anyone ever come to know that Christ is Lord? How does anybody ever come to know the Father? It is because God said, the same one who said, let, shine, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God gives the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God. It is a gift. And we say that all the time. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. We say that all the time. I fear that we don't even yet fully understand the scope of that statement. We say that, well, salvation is a gift. Take it or leave it. Scripture says salvation is a gift and God gives it to those that he has claimed as his own. That he shines the light of the knowledge of Jesus into their hearts. And when they have been raised up to new life, they believe. So we must realize our need of a Savior and, and realize why many don't come to Him. So we read Romans 3, we read 2 Corinthians 4, and that last little section of Corinthians 4 that we read is really pointing to the fact that it is God who allows people to know Christ. So really quickly, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Starting in verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Pause. Remember our key text, Matthew 11. Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. What did Paul just say? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Within all of the world, you've got two groups of people. We don't recognize this today, but in these days, there was two groups of people recognized. Jews and Gentiles. And that covered everybody on the face of the planet. So if to the Jews it's a stumbling block and folly to the Gentiles, then whoever is going to to believe. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Who is it that believes this gospel? Those to whom the Father chooses to reveal the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. We come back to our text now with that being said. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Well, what did we, re- what did we read in the verse directly above that? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things... From the wise and understanding. What has been hidden? The knowledge of who Christ truly is. They saw His miracles. They heard His teaching. They saw multitudes turn and follow Him. Yet they still don't understand. They still don't grasp it. Because God. In His divine wisdom. Said it will be hidden from them. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. These people, these Jewish people, they do not know God. And a testimony to that truth is the fact that they reject the Messiah. Which proves they do not know God. If they were to know God. They would have to accept Christ and know Him for who He truly is. And in knowing the Son, we have come to know the Father. But in order to know the Son. The Father must reveal these things to them. And so we see a unity and a oneness here between the Father and the Son here. Think about all of the Old Testament prophecies. The Messiah that was to come. The lame healed. The blind see. The lepers cleansed. All of these things that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But yet they still missed it. The Jewish people missed it. They couldn't see it. You say, well, well, when we look at the Scriptures and we look at those Old Testament prophecies and when we look at the New Testament we see all those things fulfilled, it gives us reason to rejoice. Right. If you rejoice in seeing that, it's because you have come to know the Father. The Father who made a covenant with His people. The Father who sent the Son to die for the sins of His people. The Father who purchased His people through the blood of His Son. The Father who seals His people with His Spirit. And the only reason that you know Him, the Father, is because the Son has revealed Him to you. And in knowing the Father... You can actually go back to everything that was just stated and say, now we really understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. Jesus is the love of the Father. Jesus is the promises of God fulfilled. 
Jesus is the Savior. He is Messiah. So to know the Son is to know the Father. And to know the Father is to know the Son. Because they are one. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And all whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus had just prayed, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Jesus is not going to reveal himself to this group of people because he knows it's not the Father's will. What did Jesus come to this earth to do? The works of the Father. I must be about my Father's business. Jesus does not do anything that is outside of the will of the Father. Jesus is perfectly obedient to the Father. So we must realize that knowing God is a gift and we cannot accomplish this on our own. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter chapter 1 says that, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Knowing God, being saved, being His child, being raised up to new life is a gift. And we can't make ourselves attain it. We can't make ourselves get it. We're not worthy of it. We can't work hard enough for it. So now we come to this last little section here. Come to me. All you who are la- who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Now this is especially important in speaking with the Jewish people of the day because what did they think was the way to the Father? The law. What do we just read out of Romans a few moments ago? By the works of the law, no man will be justified in his sight. There is something in trying to work our way into God's good graces that is utterly exhausting. Because we know... Even if we think we're doing a good job. Deep within the recesses of our mind. We are painfully aware of the fact that. Well I still did this wrong. I still didn't do this just right. You say I've been going to church. I've been praying. I've been trying to do better. But even when I try to do better. I still fall short. And I I can't be good enough. And right there is where we need to be. You can't be good enough. Stop trying. If we have never come to the point where we understand we are worthless, we are wretched, we are sinful, we are nothing, Christ is everything. He is worthy. He is precious. He is the anointed one of God. He is the the chosen one, the Messiah. We are nothing. You say, okay, Caleb, I get that. So what do I need to do? In order to be saved. Believe. Okay well what else do I need to do? Jesus did it all. That's what you need to believe. Believing isn't just. Well I believe that Jesus was real. And he came and he died. And he rose again. And he really was the son. Believing is trusting that he did the work for you. And you can't improve on that work. And you also can't do anything to undo that work. Trusting and resting that the work has been done. That's why Jesus can say, hey, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? What was it that the Jewish people were carrying on their backs? The law. 
I've got to do this. I've got to make this sacrifice. I've got to please this priest. And, and all of these rules that the, that the scribes and Pharisees were actually adding to the law that, hadn't, that had nothing to do with the actual law that was given, the people still had that on their backs. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you are tired of your self-righteous efforts to be right with the Father, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. Not just rest like, hey, come over here and take a nap. Rest like eternal rest. To know that you have been made right with God. Because here's the thing. None of us, none of us are right with God outside of Christ. So what do we have outside of Christ? We have the wrath of God. The condemnation of God. So hey, if you're weary of trying to work your way out of the wrath of God, come to Christ. You are never going to satisfy the wrath of God on your own. But Christ satisfied the wrath of a holy God on the cross. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? And some of you might be thinking, does he not know that he's in a church right now? All of us came to church this morning. I am not foolish enough to think that just because there's people in church that that automatically means that they're saved. And I don't say that to be mean. I say that to be truthful and honest with you. That listen, if you have been coming to church for years, if you are active in this church, yet you yourself know that in your soul you do not have rest, this promise is still true. Come to Him and find rest for your soul. Stop coming to church to try to please God and get into His good graces. Stop putting your money in the offering plate to try to please God and get into His good graces. Stop trying to do all of the checklists to be a good Christian so that maybe God will accept you in the end. Come to Christ and you are accepted in Christ by the Father. That's the weight of this statement. This isn't some just, hey, come to me if you're weak and heavy laden. I mean, take it or leave it. No, this is, this is your only hope. This is your only hope. Come to Christ or be damned. That's it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will. That's a guarantee. You will find rest for your soul. A yoke. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this, but a yoke typically had it was two animals yoked together to do work. When you had the yoke of the Old Testament law on you, it was a long, laborious life and it got you nowhere with God. All of the law and the prophets, all of the law, the law, the sacrificial system, all of that were shadows of things to come. And Christ is that thing to come. But when, when we are yoked to Christ in faith, it is a light burden. Why? Because the work's already been done. The work has already been done. The last three words that we have recorded in Scripture that were spoken by Jesus are what? Anybody? It is finished. The work is finished. Rest from your works. Weary sinner, find rest in Christ. Take His yoke 
And think about that. If I gave if I gave you two options and I said, hey guys, I got I got two yokes up here. If you yoke yourself to this one, it's going to be a long, laborious life. You're going to work, 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 but you're never going to get anywhere. But if you yoke yourself to this, all the work has been done. Trust and obey. And eternity with the Father is your reward. I don't think any of us would say, hey, I want the uh, really hard one that, uh, that never gets me anywhere. I think that's what I want to choose. We would be, we, forgive me if this is crass, but we would be stupid to choose that. Oh yeah, I want, I want that. I want to I wanna work my bones dry. I want to work to the point that I feel like I've got nothing left. And then at the end, I want my reward to be nothing. Christ has done it all. It is finished. So my question to all of us is this. Have we found rest in Christ? Even when we fall short, even when we are in the midst of fighting sin once again in our lives, do we still say, despite my shortcomings, my soul has an anchor in Christ because He has done the work. He fulfilled the law. He upheld the covenant with God's people. He purchased our redemption. He satisfied the wrath of God. Being a Christian is not saying a prayer, going to church, working hard, being an honest person, being kind to others, being generous, serving in the church, inviting others to church, not cussing, drinking, smoking, etc. You know what that is? That's a modern day law. Being a Christian is turning aside from your sin and your self-righteous works and finding rest for your soul in the person of Christ Jesus because He is who He says He is. He is the perfect Son of God. He is the only mediator between God and man. Run to Him and you will find Him to be a perfect Savior. If you're here this morning and you say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm His. That I hope that you are humbled anew under the weight of knowing that the only reason that you have ever come to know the Son or come to know the Father is because you were called by God to salvation. You were chosen by Him before the foundations of the earth and that is not a reason to gloat. That is not a reason to be arrogant. That is a reason to bow the knee in humble adoration. Of a holy God. Who saves wretched sinners. For his own glory. We can serve God. Out of a. Out of trying to please him. Or we can serve God. In an effort to glorify him. For who he is. And what he has done. May we find rest for our souls. In the person of Jesus Christ. For the unsaved. May they find rest for their souls today. For the saved. May we continue to find our rest. In Christ. Day in and day out. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day.